I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. So it's been a really interesting week for announcements from Disney. Uh, as we are recording, the Super Bowl had just passed. And we got a new trailer for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Wow, yes. that's all I got to say about this, <laughs> this two trailer. It's just it's blown my mind. Yeah, uh, Zombie Strange. Zombie Strange, Zombie Wanda, Defender Strange, Supreme Strange. We have at least four Doctor Strangers in this movie. And we don't see him, but we clearly hear the voice of Patrick Stewart. So yes. it's the crossover we've all wanted. Yes, Trekkies, Picard versus Khan is finally happening. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, no confirmation of character, but there is no mistake in that voice. A lot of people have... have uh, Theorize that this is the introduction of the Illuminati into the Marvel Universe, into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, you don't I'm have still to hoping for the, the stone cutters myself. <laughs> Simpsons crossover. <laughs> it's uh, but... the Simpsons crossover you weren't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in the Marvel Universe, the Illuminati are the smartest beings in the Marvel Universe, each one representing a different faction. Uh, in the in the comics, it's uh, Iron Man representing the Avengers, Professor X representing the X Men, Black Bolt representing the Inhumans, Doctor Strange representing the magical side of the Marvel universe, uh, Reed Richards representing the science side of the of the event of the Marvel universe, and depending when it happens, Black Panther. But again, there's more members that we don't have time to talk about, but. The Illuminati's job in the Marvel Universe is to handle the big threats behind the scenes and have done business in the multiversal situations that goes on in the Marvel Universe. So a team of characters that's job is to deal with multiversal shenanigans. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be TVA level, but it's something. Yeah, there, there wasn't. I was hoping we might get a tip off of the TVA in this one. We have not in in either of the little spots they did. The other thing we seem to have been getting, and you and I kind of, I, I don't know if we disagreed necessarily on this. I am convinced you are less than convinced, I think. Mm -hmm. But I am convinced that is Vision's voice. I'm not sure. I'm going to go with Mordo until we have some kind of confirmation and we're probably not going to get confirmation until this movie comes out in May. I I am telling you that is not Mordo's voice. It may not be Vision's voice, but it is not Mordo's voice. And Ultron sentries. We have some yeah. Ultron So uh, is the, the Ultron sentries presumably working for whichever character 
Tetrick Stewart is playing, whether he's playing Professor X or not. I'm still saying that's a, another tip-off to Vision, because it makes more sense for Vision. There's been rumors of people being in this in this in this movie. We're not gonna dive into rumors here, but if you know, you know. No, you know, we're not gonna say anything until they're confirmed. I mean, this is not a three Spider-Man situation. Or until their fairly obvious voice shows up in the commercial. Ahem. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning of May? We'll find out. And it's it's gonna be crazy. And it's gonna be perfect timing because this movie's gonna come out right after the finale of Moon Knight. So I wonder if that's gonna play into anything. We also got a little bit of a, a teaser commercial for Moon Knight. Showed a little bit more of the costume. I liked it. We did get some pictures of uh, Moon Knight in a suit. Mr. Knight, as it were. I also liked that. Again, you know, end of March. We will find out more. I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's, it's going to be a wild ride. And I'm ready for it. Uh, we got confirmation, but no trailer of Obi-Wan. And a lot of people were saying why, you know, it's not going to be on May the 4th, like a lot of people wanted. But there's reasons. Moon Knight, that's going to be the day of the Moon Knight finale. The date that it is going to premiere on, May 25th, is the actual anniversary of the release of the first Star Wars movie. So, it all, you know, that was when we first met Obi-Wan, and now we're getting the Obi-Wan series on the same day. I like that. I think it's a, a good premiere date. So. Yeah. No, no complaints from me. No trailer yet, but uh, there will probably be one roughly around the time uh, where I would say halfway through Moon Knight. Yeah, I'm I'm liking the uh, <laughs> teaser poster, though. Just Obi-Wan in the desert on yeah. Tatooine looks really cool. A lot of Tatooine in, in the Star Wars shows. It's almost like it was the center of the universe. That or an amazing coincidence. <laughs> But yeah, looking forward to Obi-Wan, looking forward to Doctor Strange, looking forward to Moon Knight. And as we are recording, we just saw the new trailer for Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the movie. Which is not what I thought this movie was going to be. This is pretty much the Roger Rabbit sequel that a lot of people wanted. Just not focusing on Roger Rabbit. He's even in the movie. We see Roger Rabbit in the trailer. Yeah, doing the Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Which is kind of strange. So yeah, the, the plot of this movie is that Chip and Dale have been out of work for 30 years after the ending of the Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers show. And we get to see what cartoons do after their show's been canceled. I do not like that they insinuated that nobody knew who Chip and Dale were prior to Rescue Rangers because... They were, like, main characters for the Disney Corporation for a long time prior to Rescue Rangers. A whole series of cartoon shorts. And they have done shorts after Rescue Rangers. So, I mean, it's it's whatever world they're going to make this in, but it does kind of bother me as a fan of those classic cartoons. Yeah, I, I like what our uh, good good friend of the show tony goldmark said about it which was that it's either the most normal trailer they could possibly make out of a very strange film or the weirdest possible trailer they could make out of what will turn out to be a really normal boring film 
<laughs> and he can't decide which one it's going to be. And the, yeah, and in the trailer, we see that Dale has gotten the CGI surgery in an effort to get more work. They yeah, that's, have a, a, that's a really trippy thing in the trailer is that one of them is done in mostly 2D hand-drawn animation and one of them is a 3D character model. Yeah, there's a, I mean, all of the classic characters are in 2D. We see the three little pigs. We see Scrooge McDuck all in 2D, which props, you know, they're, they are, they're giving the 2D animators some work in this movie. And And then they're interacting with 3D memes almost. I I don't, I don't know. There's a cat's joke in this trailer. It is it is very strange to just suddenly have a cat stroke in the middle of that. It feels make, like such low hanging fruit. This is a Lonely Island movie. There, Disney is promoting this as a Lonely Island movie, and they're not above the low hanging fruit. Have you seen any of their other movies? And they've it's, done some funny movies. You know, Rockstar was a really funny movie, but they're not above the low hanging fruit. It just I don't know. Disney promoting this as a Lonely Island movie, I don't think of Lonely Island as family-friendly entertainment. Their you know what I mean? bodily body part in a box doesn't really scream Disney. And I did something in my pants doesn't exactly scream Disney. Yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Lonely Island. You know? Yeah. Um... Probably the most family friendly I I think of when I think of Lonely Island is is stuff like uh, you know I'm on a boat or was was Tale the Chronicles of-, of Narnia oh or was Tale of Captain Jack Sparrow one of theirs I think it was yes. this is yeah the- so I you yeah. know it's it's those are kind of the the most mainstream I guess they get and even those are like I wouldn't show them to young children. They're still full of swear words, yeah. Yeah. Um that's not to say that artists that started out doing stuff that was more skewed for adult audiences can't do really cool children's and family media, you know? George Cullen was the narrator for Thomas the Tank Engine for so long. Yeah, I mean, um, have you seen Taika Waititi's earlier work? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, um, a man I would trust with family entertainment as well. But them marketing it so heavily on the Lonely Island brand seems strange. It does make me wonder of where this movie is going to go. And the fact that they are, this is going to be on Disney Plus, and Disney Plus doesn't really do adult humor. But also, did this not strike you as specifically, hello, elder millennials? Yeah. This I mean, did it, not strike me as, I mean, it struck me as maybe family entertainment in the same way the original Muppet Show did, which is to say, Perhaps your children can be in the room for this in the fact that it doesn't have explicit swears. But I'm not sure this is targeted at children. You know what I'm saying? This is targeted to people who were watching Rescue Rangers growing up. I.e. us. I.e. the Disney adult. Yeah. 
I think this is a Disney adult film. And I don't mean it, that in the pejorative sense of the, the... I mean, you know, that's our target audience, let's face it. But um, that that is us, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm curious, but I'm also wary having did, seen that trailer. The only joke I really had a good laugh at is that where Chip is trying to grab a disguise... And he grabs his outfit from the show, and they look up, and it's an Indiana Jones convention. Yeah, it's the it's the the Indiana Jones booth at whatever convention they're at. It looks like they're like trying to mock San Diego or something, you know. And it's I mean, just a booth of all Indiana Jones cosplay. Which, by the way, I I where is that booth? I would like that booth, please. It is I, very difficult to get screen accurate Indiana Jones cosplay. I mean, I've seen you in Indiana Jones. You showed me the picture of you as in in, in, in Indiana Jones cosplay. So it can and work. And that is, it is not at all screen accurate. And it annoys the crap out of me. My Indiana Jones cosplay is is barely passable by my own standards. <laughs> so yeah, at some point. I mean, want better Indiana Jones cosplay. Yeah. And, of course, the joke of CG characters not looking really realistic. Those feels... jokes kind of landed for me. But like, I'm not, looking right not at you. in a ha-ha sense. It was more like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> so it looks like this is going to kind of make fun of the modern animation way. But like I said, it feels like this is the Roger Rabbit sequel that a lot of people wanted of. What's going on in the if in this world in the modern day as opposed to in the 1940s and 50s? Also, was that DJ Scat Cat or was I losing yes, my mind? With Paula Abdul. Did I miss Paula? I gotta go back and watch that. I'm pretty sure that's Paula Abdul right next to him. Okay, I must have blinked. I think I just focused in on like, is that DJ Scat Cat? What? And then, you know. And I think my, my brain was just... is in this movie. So it's like, maybe this... We may not have Warner Brothers characters, but it looks like every other animation studio is at least okay with some of their characters being in this movie. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm just... I, that thing fritz my brain. I, I gotta wait until I'm... Well, that scene is supposed to be in the 90s, so that is at the height of their popularity. Yeah, I guess. The one song he did. Yeah. <laughs> May 20th, let's let's see what happens there. And I guess that's that. We can we can move on to our main feature here. Hidden figures. These the 2016 movie about the three women that did the calculations and helped a man get into orbit. An American man get into orbit at least. Because they stressed in this movie that the Russians did it first. Well, I mean, that that part is historically accurate. (laughs) But it's like the space race of the 1960s. And that is a lot. That's a lot to get through. The thing is, is that it took a long time and we're we're still kind of sorting through it. But in the way these things kind of happen, it took a long time for people to realize, first of all, women's contribution to the space race. Mm-hmm. And secondly, women of color, their contribution to the space race as well. 
yeah, people forget that computers were still in their infancy as far as, you know, computing machines. Nowadays, we hold a computer in our pocket that's 100 times more powerful than the giant computers we see in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, your average smartwatch is like 300 times more powerful than everything they use to put a man on the moon. All of these calculations pretty much done by hand. And interestingly, despite all of the stereotypes of, you know, oh, men are better with numbers, men are better with math, at the time, just the kind of grunt work of, you know, putting numbers into a calculator and double-checking figures and all that kind of stuff, it was considered grunt work. And grunt work, as it so often is, is always kind of outsourced to whoever is at the bottom of the social ladder in the office. And that was frequently women and frequently women of color. A lot of these were just kind of dumped into the secretarial pool or they were called computers. They were women who were called computers. Um, because they did the computations. And we found out about the white women who did this work earlier on, but it wasn't until later on that we found out that there were lots of black women who did this work as well. Yeah, months before this movie came out, uh, Katherine Johnson actually gets awarded recognition for her work and gets a wing in NASA named after her. Again, months before this movie ever comes out and a while after the the book of the same name came out the book ooh, the book actually comes out the same year this movie did yeah i mean there was a very quick turnaround for this movie yeah the thing to remember though is that as these jobs became more important the computer programming jobs the mathematical computation jobs things like that as it was realized how important these things were, they began to be taken over by men, as so frequently happens. But initially, they were done by women. Uh, yeah. So a lot of this early coding work and computing work, all women. And it's kind of interesting to go back and look at the history of computers and mathematics as a whole, just historically. And you'll find a lot of women whose names have been kind of redacted. <laughs> you know, you'll find people like, you know, Ada Lovelace and, and things like that, even before computers were even a, a real thing, which is awesome. And names that were just kind of are just kind of coming back into the, the thing. So I'm glad we're learning about women like Katherine Johnson now and and all that. Because I I want them back in. And we've we've talked about doing this movie for a little bit now. Um yeah. since the Fox buyout. Because it's like, well, now it's in the Disney catalog and we can talk about it. So seemed a good a good time. This is the time of year, not only for Black History Month, but also uh this is the time of year when historically a lot of the um space launches happened uh in 
NASA space shuttle launches and stuff this time of year uh, because the this is when the good weather in Florida and Texas is. <laughs> you don't really have to worry about hurricanes and bad thunderstorms so much this time of year. So this kind of early period of the year is when they would do uh, spatial and rocket launches back when NASA was still really heavily doing those. Uh, so it's a good time to talk about space stuff. Did you see this movie in the theater? Because I did. I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or as soon as it came out, but I I know I saw it before before the Oscars that year because it was nominated for a few things, I think. It was nominated for Best Picture. Did not win, but it was nominated yeah. for Best Picture. I uh I actually saw this I think in January when it was when it became a wide release. So at the same week I saw another Oscar nominated movie, La La Land. And Which I have never seen. When I came out of this, the movie uh, Seeing Hidden Figures, I said, I said, I even put it on social media at the time. If this movie isn't nominated for Best Picture, it's a travesty. It should win, but it probably won't. Because in my mind, I think, well, La La Land is a lock-in because there's nothing that Hollywood loves is when Hollywood pays tribute to Hollywood. That it, is true. <laughs> and, I mean, it didn't. It didn't win. Moonlight ended up winning the Best Picture that year. Which, fair. Fair enough, it was the first LGBTQ movie to win Best Picture, and it deserved it. But but at the time of seeing Hidden Figures, I really wanted Hidden Figures to win Best Picture. That was That's my little rant on it. It deserved, it, it deserved its nomination, but at the time that the movie was first released in January of 2017, I wanted it to win. <laughs> Again, it did get a release in the, uh, Christmas of 2016. So it could qualify for the Oscars. It had a limited run, but January 2017 is when it had its wide release. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about before we get to the cast? It's another one that got filmed in uh, Georgia here. Hmm. Just kind of bounced all around uh, north and central Georgia for all those little small town shots that are supposed to be in Virginia. In fact, Georgia. Mm. Yeah, the they assembled a really excellent cast for this one. You want to get into it? Yeah, let's go for it. Uh, we've got Taraji P. Henson playing our main character, Katherine Johnson. She's got the uh, the Disney connection through Rick It Ralph. Because she shows up uh, shortly after this in Ralph Breaks the Internet. She is, yes. She does a lot of work with Tyler Perry. She is in the remake of The Karate Kid, the one that had Jaden Smith in it. And she's about to be in the remake of The Color Purple. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah. Also, in Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, She's, she, really, she also plays Constance Hatchaway, the bride in Muppets Haunted Mansion. She is so much fun. Uh, if you if you ever watch her in interviews and and stuff like that, uh, I I love watching her show up on things. Recently, there's a new show. I don't know if you've if you've seen it, but there's a new show called That's My Jam, 
I've not heard of it. Yeah, it's like celebrities come on and they do like weird music-based game shows with um Jimmy Fallon. Um, but she was in an episode where she was on one team and uh Taika Waititi was actually on the other team <laughs> that she was competing against and she was hilarious. Um so uh, it's 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 a really weird show but uh yeah go look it up if you just like weird improv comedy stuff i don't i don't even know how to describe it but it was very funny playing dorothy vaughn who is a mathematician who ends up working uh on some of the early ibm computing We've got Octavia Spencer, who is wonderful. She's amazing. Yeah, I think I think the last time we talked about her was Spider Man. Yeah, we, she she was like a a tiny bit part in Spider Man or something. We were like, oh, we one, forgot she was in this. Yeah, she's the one that checked in Spider Man at the wrestling match. Yeah. And it was just, we were we were like, wait, what's she doing in this? We forgot she was in this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, where do you start with her? The help? Because, I mean, that got her an Oscar. She's in one, one of my favorite movies, Snowpiercer. She's in the Divergent movies. She's in Shape of Water. For Guillermo del Toro, who we've talked about before. Mm. I mean, come on. And the Percy Jackson series. Yeah, and she just she, did. Uh, she was in Zootopia. Zootopia. We talked about her there. And um, we haven't talked about it yet on the show, but she did Onward. Yeah. Uh, as well for Pixar. So, yeah, no. She does a lot of stuff. <laughs> and a few years ago, she had that amazing performance as Ma. You know, I haven't seen Ma yet, but I hear such amazing things about it. I hear she is absolutely terrifying in that. Oh. We've got Janelle Monet as our, our third member of our trio here. Playing Mary Jackson, the first uh, African American African American engineer at NASA, uh, uh, African American female engineer at least. Um, there may have been a, a man before her. I, I love Janelle Monae. Can I just say that? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I love Janelle Monae. Her her music is just oh so good. You know, I, I knew her as a singer, you know, a musician. And then she just is like, oh, no, but I act, too. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you do. Oh, so good. And this is only like her third film. Her first film was Rio 2. And her second film was Moonlight. Yeah. Hello. So yeah, 2016 was a good year for her. She's got the Disney connection too, because she goes on to do 
Lady and the Tramp, the the remade version where she does Peg. Yeah, and we just talked about it last week with uh, yeah. with Peggy Lee, yeah. So she takes over for Peggy Lee in that role. Um, and she's really good in that, too. She she does such a such an awesome job. The thing I'm waiting to see is she's going to be in that Knives Out 2 that, like, yeah. everybody's going to be in. And I loved the first Knives Out. I did, too. That was a, I uh, can't wait for the sequel. See where, see where they're going with this. Yeah. She does such a good job in this. Uh, just right from the the first scene, you know exactly who her character is. The very <laughs> outspoken and very promiscuous version of Mary Jackson in this movie. Yeah. It's, okay. it's Sunday. Control yourself. I will not. <laughs> yeah. We've got Kevin Costner in here as a a made up character who's kind of a he's kind of a conglomerate, I think, of several real people. But they give him the character of Al Harrison, who was, at least from my understanding, not a real person, but kind of a mashup of several real people, I think, who were various supervisors at NASA at the time. Makes sense. You know, take all these, instead of having several of these characters talk to her have it be one character and you can add her you can have your big name actor like kevin costner we don't need to tell you who kevin costner is yes you you should know who kevin costner is <laughs> there was a bit of com- controversy involving that character saying that it was the the white savior trope in this kind of a movie which i can see it i mean apologies if i'm if i'm getting that wrong but i I do think that that is correct, that he was one of the characters that was made up. Because there are several characters in the film that are composites like that. There are a few that they've added like that, like Paul Stafford uh, as well, which is played by Jim Parsons. Everybody should know Jim Parsons. It's Sheldon Cooper. Yeah. Um, And also the real... Playing a real, playing against Ty because he's playing a real a hole in this movie. And this time he's playing an a hole who knows he's an a hole. Jim Parsons, of course, with the Disney connection as well because he's in, he's in the 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 Muppets. He's yeah. the alter ego of Walter. Being in Manor Muppet, yeah. Yeah, in in Manor Muppet, yeah. But this this is actually like an antagonist character. If there is a villain in the movie, he he is probably the main one i guess cutting off Catherine at every turn saying a woman can't do this a woman shouldn't be in this room and my my figure you know my numbers are 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 solid you're just yeah. a dummy yeah and i guess they did this to they made that a composite character rather than just call out any one you know or have several characters kind of be an a-hole to her they didn't want to so having all of that character onto one character makes sense. Again, you can get a well-known actor to play that part. Well, but also, I mean, I hate I hate to say it because, you know, we do talk about wrong then, wrong now. Mm-hmm. But there there is kind of a thing about just going back in time and plucking a random person in an office out of history and be like, you, you are the cause of racism. Yeah. You know? So, if you're going to do composite, look at the racist, 
I guess it's better to kind of give it a fictional name. Yeah. Rather than some random NASA office workers family catches heat, you know, 50 Fair years enough. later for, you know, the culture of the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I can I can understand that. Um the thing with uh the you know the the white savior trope is a little a little different and we'll get into that as we talk about the the actual happenings of the film. Kirsten Dunst is in this as Vivian Mitchell, probably the other antagonist who I think was also just a composite. Yeah, so Vivian Mitchell is a kind of an, an an antagonist for Dorothy and Paul Stanford being the antagonist for Catherine and just the system is the the antagonist for Mary. But also interestingly is that the uh the Carl Zelinsky character that you you see kind of giving her support is based, based on, a real, on a real real person but they actually kind of fictionalize him. Fictionalize and, the name but yeah. But yeah, played by Kirsten Dunst, who we last talked about when we talked about Spider-Man. And kind of the last of the the big names that that we'll talk about is uh, Mahershala Ali, who uh, plays Jim Johnson, who uh, eventually becomes Catherine's second husband, who would, would stay with her for the rest of their lives. And again, big year for him because guess who was also in Moonlight that year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and also, he's a uh, boy. He's, he's raking in that Marvel money now, ain't he? He's Blade. I mean, he was he was already kind of big yeah. in in the Marvel before because he was already in Luke Cage. Because he was Cottmouth. He was in Spider-Verse. Because he was Prowler. Um, But now he is taking over the role of Blade. And he got his first, at least, voice uh, uncredited cameo at the end of Eternals. Spoiler alert. With the Black Um, Knight, yeah. You can hear his his voice uh, talking there to good old Jon Snow at the end of that. Hopefully working on that right now. I uh, I have liked his work since he uh was on uh forty four hundred, which was when I first became aware of him. Mm. Uh I absolutely loved that show. Uh and he was one of the major stars of that, and that was my introduction to him. I've been so glad to watch his career, you know, just skyrocket since then so that is that is our cast for this one let's let's get into kind of the story i mean everybody kind of knows the the broad strokes of the space race Mm. probably listening and if you don't uh go you know watch a documentary or something yeah, the space um, race was big in the in the in the 60s. Uh, the Russians was just doing everything. The first caps, the first uh, unmanned satellite in space, the first living creature in space with Laika the dog, the first man in space. They were leading the space race, and America had to play catch up. We they even say it 
in the movie. How can we be losing in a two-team race? Yeah, and it was a massive PR loss for America that they were losing (laughs) this thing. And uh, we see it right at the beginning of the movie how Americans were taking this. You know, we see the three women, you know, here they are, three black women in Virginia, rural Virginia, because they work at, at Langley, which is in Virginia. And they are broken down at the side of the road in the middle of, like, a cow pasture. Uh, And here comes a white cop, you know. And they are terrified, uh, rightly so. Yeah, they immediately get out of the car because they didn't do nothing wrong, but you never know. Yeah. At least, they I mean, they get that right. Yeah. And but, uh, the cop it, just starts looking up. When he finds out that these three work at NASA... He starts looking up and says, you know, that the Russians are going to bomb him every any minute from space, which that was the PR stunt that, you know, the Russians are in space and they're going to bomb America. Yeah, that was the American line was that Sputnik was a military threat. Sputnik was not a military threat. It was never a military threat. It was a tiny little sphere that if you had the right radio equipment, you could point it at it and it would go beep, beep, beep. And that's how you located it. It was just to prove that humans put an object into space. That was it. Now, yes, extrapolating from that, because anything, any bit of technology, if you're savvy enough, can have weaponized possibilities, you know, because humans are like that. Sputnik itself had no military capabilities. It really was, can we put a thing up there and locate it? Yes, we can. Good good job, humanity, you know. But we immediately see that the cop is like, the Russians have put a thing up there. They are watching us right now. He's convinced that the, the Russians are capable of, it, it's a spy satellite. It's got cameras on it. They, the Russians can see you right now. Where you yeah, are. yeah. I mean, again, it's just the, the the propaganda of that and theories that are still being talked about today. But, you know, I grew up knowing people who believed that. There are still people who believe that. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, as, as a kid, you know, because, I mean, Cold War was still going on when we were kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, like, I grew up knowing people who believe, like, you know, well, ever since they launched Sputnik, they've been watching us. You know, like, it's like, I heard that growing up. So, I mean, it's not, like, completely out there, uh, this scene. But as soon as the cop finds out, like, oh, these three women are helping get our boys into space. He immediately changes his tone. They go from three black women giving him lip and not being properly respectful to I will give you an escort to work because we've got to put our boys into space. That's how important it was at the time. America was consumed. At least certain parts of America. It wasn't universal. We got to beat the Russians up into space. We got, we got to show that, uh, that you know, American ingenuity. We got to do, you know, it's not going to be the 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 red flag of communism. It's going to be the red, white, and blue flag of freedom. 
it was an interesting time and these women were there to do their part for their country at least you know that's how they saw it you know and I do love the, the, the sort of introduction to Catherine is that we see her in school looking at the shapes in the glass. And then, like, because there's no other way, I guess there's no better way to show that this woman is in, extremely intelligent than having her show off that pretty much she knows everything about mathematics. I always find it fascinating how people choose to externalize the workings of a mind yeah because we see the shapes of the glass as she come out and she's as she's identifying them yeah uh, and and i also like shorthand for this person is smart you know <laughs> we've talked about that before in other in other movies of like there's you know there's the the, the mean picture of someone thinking and then there's just mathematical equations running across the screen like it's in their mind yeah they do it slightly differently here. We we see more the parents being told, like, you know, there, there are ways for your daughter to have more of an education. Even though the schools are still segregated, even though she is black and female, there are opportunities simply because she is so advanced. And it got her a job at NASA. Yeah. Say what you will, that they wouldn't even consider her if, if she didn't know her stuff. Yeah. And she gets a job in this special, you know, she she starts the, the film in the kind of pool of computers. You know, like I said, this group called the Space Task Group needs a person who knows analytic geometry. Dorothy Vaughn stands up for her. Catherine's the one you want. She can do any calculation you put in front of her. Meanwhile, Mary is the one that has the engineering mind. And she gets sent over to where they're working on the heat shield. And she almost gets herself in trouble because her heels get caught. It's easy to want to blame her. Except one, well, one she didn't know about the grading, and two, it, they they go over the dress code of that the women have to go through very early on in the movie. Yeah, and part of the dress code is that all women have to wear heels; they are not allowed to wear flats, which is a standard that some offices still maintain. Yeah, and is a nightmare. Do not do that. If you've ever gotten a heel stuck in a grate, you know what a horrific nightmare that is. Um, and Dorothy's story is that she's been given the responsibilities of a supervisor in her position, but never actually given the actual title of supervisor. Or the pay. Or the pay. Fair, yeah. So it's like, and she goes, you know, she's talking to whoever she can. Mostly it's 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 Vivian. It's like... We haven't had a supervisor in a year since our last one fell being sick. We need either either we need someone to be our supervisor or promote one of us to supervisor. And they just straight up will not do it. And that's Dorothy's, you know, journey throughout this movie. And Mary, she sold she sold a, like like you said, she's the engineer. She has a mind for engineering. And Carl says, Hey, you can be an engineer, 
just uh, apply for it. And she says, I'm a black woman. They're not going to let me be an engineer here. His story is like, hey, I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm a I'm an immigrant and I'm an engineer. If I can break through, so can you, which is nice in saying that. But the practicality of it is not so much because they keep on pushing a lot of uh, obstacles in Mary's way. Like you need to have this certain education. You need to have this degree and that degree. And you and the only school nearby, you could have to go to the very expensive school very far away or you could take classes at the local high school which is segregated. It it is worth noting that Carl's point was that not, not only is he a Jewish immigrant, he is a Polish Holocaust survivor. Mm. I mean, he was not supposed to be alive. So he's already living the impossible. Yeah. It it was his, his point about the impossible was, you know, my parents my parents and I made it out of a death camp and now I am helping to put a man into space so maybe miracles can happen which has slightly more weight than I am also from a minority group um I I will I I will at least give him that but yes it does seem I don't know if the movie is trying to imply that they changed the rules to prevent Mary from going. I mean, Vivian does put down, we put an, an addendum into the employee manual for that. Yeah, it, it, it seems like this was. It seems like it might have been a specific Mary is getting ideas, so we made an addendum, or it could have just been. You know, I, it's it's always hard to tell in situations like that sometimes. The movie implies that it is a recent change yeah. just because Mary wants to be an engineer and the powers that be do not want a black woman as an engineer at NASA. That is That is always the insidious thing about racism because it is so difficult to prove. This is why they have called it systemic racism. It's yeah, it's built so into the to system. Prove, like, did you do that because you got the inkling that this one black woman wanted to be an engineer and you wanted to stop her, or was it timing that just happened to work out to stop this one black woman? You know, mm-hmm. and it's so difficult to be able to prove which is the point of systemic you know yeah this is the thing that is interesting because it is a point in the movie but it's a point that dorothy brings up when vivian keeps talking about i just enforce the rules nobody gets special treatment you know and at one point when Dorothy comes up against yet another brick wall to her advancement. Vivian looks at her and very kindly says, you know I don't hate y'all. And Dorothy says, I'm sure you think you don't. I love that line. And it's such a perfect line. Because honestly, it's so true. 
there are people who will hold other people back and will say with a straight face and will believe, I do not have anything against you. And they will believe it in their mind that they will have nothing against him. Maybe she does, or maybe she's using the already existing rules to prevent these people from advancing. Again, like you said, can't prove it. You know, I love that line. I, I believe, you, you know, you believe you do. So that's, I believe that you believe you do. You know, I've had that exact same conversation with other white people. When I've had, you know, I've had other white people say to me, like, you know, I don't have anything against insert minority group. Or disabled, because you, you are disabled. Or, or disabled people. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's a specific targeted towards me. But, you know, there are conversations white people will only have when they're alone, you mm. know, and they think they're safe. And they think they're talking to someone who agrees with them. You know, when when those things come up and, and you overhear those and... That it has always been the first thought in my brain is I'm sure you think you're telling the truth right now. I'm sure that in your brain you think that this is that that is a true statement because that's the insidious thing is it's that ingrained. And I th I think that that's an important moment is that Vivian, the character, probably thinks that she's just enforcing the rules. This is just the way the rules are. And that's repeated so many times throughout. The, this is just the way things are. Yeah, that's the, something that, that Paul Stanford says over and over again to Catherine. These are the way things are. This yeah, is the white, rule. White people in the movie repeat that so many times. You know, the people in the library repeat it when Dorothy goes in to get the books on 4chan. Yeah. Fortran, excuse me. <laughs> that was a weird slip of the tongue. Um, Fortran in 1961. I don't want to think about how that would be. It would be no different than it is now. It's just there. no. But you know, but but when she goes in to get the programming books, and you know, she wants to learn how to code. There's the you know the segregated sections, and of course, they're not going to stock books on how to program computers in the black section in yeah. the black section they're going to stock it only in the whites only section and when she goes you know the librarian says well you know that's just the way things are and it's such a repeated phrase over and oh that's just the way things are that's just the way things are and it just hopefully makes your skin crawl every time you hear it and it should. I mean, it it, it really should um, if it if it's hitting the right way. And honestly, in the real world, it should make your skin crawl. If you ever hear anybody utter the phrase, well, that's just the way things are, you need to stop and question it, no matter what it is. Now, it, there may be a good reason for it, but if you ever hear that phrase for anything, stop and question, why are the why are things that way and should they be that way? And it may it, it may turn out that they're that way for a reason, you know, a good reason. It may be for safety or something, you know. We do this, you know, we don't stick a fork in the electrical socket because you will get electrocuted. Good reason. But, uh, you know, most things I find, if you hear that as a response, 
probably not a good reason behind it. And I love that they keep using that phrase over and over and over in this movie mm. to drive that home. And even as Catherine says, I cannot do my job because of these rules. You know, I don't have all of the data because you are a draft. I don't have the clearance to see all the numbers. I, I cannot, the, the, the numbers are changing on an hourly basis. I need to be in the room where it happens so I can get the data so I can adjust on the fly. And they're telling her, no, 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 you don't have the clearance to see this. You don't have the clearance to be in the room. Women are not allowed in the in that room. This is how the way things are. Yeah, it's interesting the intersection of race and sex in this film. And I'm glad that they address both. Possibly my favorite line from Catherine is that they have the, the scene where she meets her future husband. Mm -hmm. And in one of the weirdest meet-cutes in film history... <laughs> Uh, they meet at church. Uh, the church cookout, yeah, yeah. The 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 uh dinner on the grounds after the after the service. The service there. Uh, they got the the little cookout. Colonel Colonel Johnson there. He uh he says to her that he didn't think that women could do math, and she. Absolutely she, she, takes him apart. She's <laughs> offended at this, yeah. Um, as she should be. Mm -hmm. She tells him at the end in a great line that she got her job not because she wears a skirt, but because she wears glasses. I, that's another great line in this movie. Yeah, I've seen that. That's one of the lines I see quoted so often with in years after that movie with young women who are entering various technological and science fields. Not because we wear skirts, it's because we wear glasses. Yeah, and it's a good line. I mean, bravo to the to scriptwriter. Mm -hmm. It's a good line, and she delivers it well. It really does. There are so many points where it's not just because of her race that that is holding her back, but it's also because of her gender. Sometimes, you know, it's the segregation, but also frequently the objection is women aren't allowed to do that. Women, You can't have a woman doing that. You can't have a woman doing that. And then sometimes it's, well, you can't have a black woman doing that. It's important to note when those things overlap and how they overlap. And that you see the difference when there is a difference between how the white women who work on the staff are treated and how the black women are treated. Yeah. And sometimes there isn't that much of a difference. It's just the women are treated second class, you know? Um, and it's important to note both of those, which I think is interesting, but that there are definitely different rungs on the ladder. There is, of course, you were talking about the big scene where she kind of gets, you know, dressed down a bit for her taking really long breaks because yeah. she has to go to the bathroom half a mile away. Yeah, there are, as far as this movie is concerned, we have to stress that. Yeah. 
as far as this movie is concerned, there are no black restrooms in the building that she's working in. So she has to go to the other side of the campus a mile away to use the colored woman's restroom while working because she knows how long that line, how long that, that run is and then come right back. And yeah. She always takes her work with her and keeps scribbling notes as she's running. As um, she's relieving herself as she yeah. says, you know, Kevin Costner, you know, finally loses it one day. It's like, where do you go for 40 minutes at a time? And, you know. Yeah, and she, she straight up says, there's no colored restrooms in this building. I need to go to a building half a mile away to just so I can go to the bathroom and then run another half, another mile back just to finish my work. And uh, Kevin Costner's character says, you know what? No more colored bathrooms. No more white bathrooms. We all pee the same color. Just get your work done. Not as historically accurate, according to the actual Katherine Johnson, who had said that while that was a problem at the beginning, she just said, screw it. And she started using the white ladies restroom and no one bothered her about it because they needed her to work. Yeah. Um, but it's th- a nice scene in this movie. Henson in that scene where she loses it because this entire movie she's been treated like second class as you said she just loses it is this i just wanted to go to the bathroom everyone here treats me like second class i can't even drink coffee because no one wants to drink from the same cup that i uh the, the same mug of coffee that i drink out of you know it's like she just she's doing all of this work and she's not getting any of the respect for it again the white savior trip fine whatever but that scene where Catherine just goes off on everyone in that room is so well acted. It is It is a very good piece of, of acting chops. The problem is more that there was a white writer who thought that we needed a feel-good scene. Well, if you'd only have said something, we would have done something about it, you know? It's like, well, you walk by signs of segregation every day. It's not like you didn't know it was going on. You it know, just beca- it just became a problem when it affected the work, which seems to be a a thing in a pretty much all office environments. Is that they will ignore a problem until it comes into play with productivity. The thing is, is that uh, it, it did it did become an interesting um, point where. You know, the the question came up of why would they refuse to use the same coffee pot as her? Because a a lot of these men probably had housekeepers who were black women Mm. at home who made their coffee and cooked their dinners. And, you know, and so, I mean, that they had to, you know touch things that black women touched all the time the point is not you know i mean one racism doesn't make sense so you know you can't put logic to it what little logic there is is not like ew cooties but it remember your place we get the nice thing you get the less nice thing yeah the thing to me that i did like was even in the parts that were less historically accurate is that because of things like this 
there are people who will now go, hey, did that really happen? Let me look that up. And they're going to find images of these women, the real stories of these women, you know, video of these women, the, you know, which I think is the the real good that maybe sometimes we dress it up a little bit and we make it a little bit more it's gotta be a little bit more dramatic it's gotta make sense it's gotta make a good movie yeah that, sometimes that we smooth over it stuff in some respects although i find a lot of times real life biographies to be much more interesting sometimes than the movies that are made off of them. And also, we have to condense these stories into 90-minute, two-hour windows. Yeah. So sometimes, while the real story is more dramatic than the fictionalized story, you can't really tell that in a two-hour movie. Yeah, the the thing is that, um, you know, I think Catherine's children were older like i think they were teenagers around this time so you know here they're very adorable younger children that are you know here's a picture of you standing next to a rocket ship mommy you know which is much more adorable than like yeah mom whatever you're like doing math for rock i don't care i'm gonna go to a dance now like which is a teenager response this dude wants to date you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's it's less like, are you going to marry the nice man, mommy? More than like, so you're going to hook up or what? You know? like Yeah. That's the teenager response, which is less of an adorable movie. I don't know. I get it. But I think the good that it does is that it at least makes the right people interested in finding the story. Mm-hmm. Or you can I mean, you read the actual book that this movie is based on, which has the actual facts into it. Well, that's what I said. You know, the, yeah. the, the people that would be inspired by these women, they will see something like this and go like, wait, there's a book? I must read that book, you know. Um, And then they will find it. They will dig more into it. They will do more research. They, You know, and then they have new heroes to look up to. Mm-hmm. Again, which, you know, oh, heroes for women and heroes for black people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's a lot of talk in the movie about, you know, advancement for one of us being advancement for all of us there is some some truth to that i think when you're dealing with people who have been marginalized and racialized in that way yeah one person gets through the door that means someone else could follow yeah even though there are those inaccuracies like Mary didn't have to go in front of a judge to fight for it. It's a good scene. And it, it the line is good. The, the the line reading of when 
of uh, Jillian Monet just saying, hey, you could be the first this, the first that. It's a great line. That whole whole scene is very good, but again, didn't actually happen in real life, but it it's it's good for the movie. Yeah, and, and it's good writing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that, like, ooh, don't you wish you could say that sometime? <laughs> and sometimes in these fictionalized movies, the characters are saying what the real person wished they could say. Maybe sometimes it's a thing somebody out there needs to hear yeah like i said i think the the real thing is kind of what they what they went on to do in bringing this film and showing it to you know like groups of girl scouts and saying like hey don't you want to think about a stem career yeah or whatever you know showing that here's how Catherine used her skills to help figure out you know re-entry points for john glenn by hand you know that we wouldn't have probably been able to get him back to earth safely without her I was going to say one thing I did like in this movie is the use of historical footage. Yeah. Actual actual footage of the rockets launching, footage of Dr. Martin Luther King, footage of John F. Kennedy. I'm glad that they used that rather than have an actor play uh, John F. Kennedy, have an actor play Martin Luther King in those scenes. Because I feel like it's more real in that sense as grainy and old as that footage is to have the actual historical footage in the film yeah and i i liked that they set it against you know here's the space race but also here's what was going on with civil rights at the the moment yeah there's a protest of segregation must go because that was what happened of what that was what that's what was going on in the world at that time yeah, and the the bombing of the Freedom Rider bus. It was so interesting to see their their mix, like you said, of the historical footage, you know, and the Russian footage too, because all exactly, the, the yeah. Russian footage was historical footage. The idea of taking this grand project and focusing in on this small kind of part of it you know you're not focusing in on like the the grandiosity of like well here's the guy that's strapped to the rocket you know Mm -hmm. if that decimal point had been off we'd have lost that guy i mean they they even say it in i mean it happens in the film where they lose one of the ships on re-entry it sinks because the numbers were off because Catherine did not get the full uh, redact- uh, unredacted documents because she didn't have the clearance. Yeah. It is true that John Glenn did ask for Catherine to verify specifically the IBM calculations because he, he didn't trust the machine as much as he trusted her 
I mean, to be fair, the machines were fairly new at the time. Like you said, it was in the infancy of the IBM computer. So to have a, a human double-check, especially as uh, he says in the movie, the smartest one in the room, double-check the numbers. Yeah. It, it, they they did shorten the time frame in there. In the, in the film, she is running as he's about to be launched. <laughs> Um, to give them the no, you know, that's not true. She had like days to double check them, you know. So she she had plenty of time. More uh, dramatic were, again. Again, you got to make it look more dramatic in the movie. Yeah, you you know me. I am not a math person. Neither am I. But but it is still interesting to understand all the tiny bits that it took to successfully do this to launch a man into space to launch a man eventually we don't see this in this movie but to launch a person to the moon to you know yeah this uh, this movie ends with so do you think we can get to the moon you know i mean it's it's very much you know it it ends with john glenn splashing down safely yeah it was really awesome to learn about this tiny part of it you know i i don't want to say tiny as in to diminish the i would say a forgotten piece of history because this was these three women their contributions were not as well known at the time up until the really the release of the book and the katherine johnson wing of nasa and this film it was not as well known now it is i think that this is that films like these are important in the fact that they, if they don't tell you the full truth, they point you toward the truth, mm-hmm. which can also be important. And I do like at the end, they show the actors, the three actors, and then show the pictures of the actual three women. Like, here are the real people behind all of this. Yeah. Um I have to say that I think one of the the coolest things is just uh, because of this film and because now, you know, Disney's acquisition of Fox, now it being part of their catalog, that Disney now works with the um, U.S. State Department on a program called Hidden No More, which is a program that brings women from around the world who have done really excellent things in STEM fields to come to U.S. embassies and screen the film and represent their country and you know do a exchange program to to kind of help not only in within the u.s but around the world promote women in science and making sure that women's contribution in stem careers are not forgotten and not diminished, which I think is kind of cool. 
So on that, let's ask the question, does Hidden Figures have the magic, Kiki? I would say yes. I would say yes as well. This was definitely one of my favorite movies that came out in 2017, early 2017 at least. And yeah, this is fictionalized, but it still tells a great story. It still introduces the 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 story of these three great women and the contributions that they had to the space program. And, you know, I'm glad that they were recognized by this movie and their story were told. Yeah, I I really I really loved going through this one again and having uh, you know an excuse to to talk about it because we've been wanting to do it for a while. Uh, since, just, yeah, it, since since the merger. So so yeah, thumbs up for me. Still a good movie. Yeah, go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's very good on Disney um, Plus. It's it's amazing. So let's move on to next week. Next week we are taking a look at. Strange Magic, the first Lucasfilm movie to be released by Walt Disney Studios. It's going to be a very interesting episode next week. So come back next week, and we will talk to you all then. Bye! Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.